Well, good morning. <clears throat> Go ahead, take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark uh, as we continue our series. I know that it's Palm Sunday, uh, and we are extremely thankful for Christ coming into the city of Jerusalem, pronouncing uh, that he is coming to bring victory, that he is coming to be the king that we need him to be and ultimately long for him to be and want him to be. Uh, and he is going to do so by going to the cross. And as we look at the book of Mark, uh, we are going to get to see today one of the things that he does to really demonstrate uh, what he actually is coming to accomplish on Palm Sunday, uh, what he is going to accomplish at the cross and through the resurrection. So we're in Mark chapter 7, looking at verse 31. Next week for Easter, we will have a week off from the book of Mark. Uh, and as Matt said, make sure you're here early, uh, bring friends, family. It's going to be an incredible celebration and time. We would love for you to be at the, the Good Friday service as well. Uh, but today, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31, and we're just going to be going to verse 37. Uh, and we've had a lot uh, taking place um, across the United States this past week, um, and, and even a particular scare even here in our city. Uh, and some different things going on. So I know we just prayed, um, but I'm going to ask you to pray with me as well. Um, God, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together and to worship you this morning. And Lord, we do know that there are heavy hearts uh, all around our nation. I know that there are heavy hearts in this room. I know that there are things that are going on in our lives uh, that we do not understand. Uh, Lord, as even we read this text this morning, there are were things going on in the life of this man that we will see in our text that he didn't understand. And God, we just ask that today you would, as only you can, bring peace to those that are broken, peace to those that are hurting. God, we specifically pray for the city of Nashville, uh, the families that were affected there. Uh, Lord, I know that we had a scare here this week, and I know many families, even in our church body and across our city, uh, are, are scared and wondering... Uh, what needs to be done. Uh, and so, Lord, I just pray for peace. I pray for comfort. I pray for wisdom. We also know that tornadoes are sweeping through the South and the Midwest, and uh, many people are uh, losing uh, home and losing life. And, Lord, we just lift them up to you and their families. And, and, God, we just pray today that you would bring peace and comfort in a way that only you can. And Lord, we love you. I pray that you would speak through your text this morning. I pray that you would reveal your word to be living and active as we know that it is. I pray that you would speak directly to each of us. I love what we get to see in the text this morning of just how you particularly see what is happening in each individual life. And God, you bring truth and you bring salvation and you bring life to each one of us. And so, Lord, we love you. We give this time to you. We pray that you would just bless the reading of your word and the studying of your word. And we pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to read the text up front. I want us to kind of see what's happening um, in the text, and then we're going to kind of walk through it together in just a handful of verses together this morning. Uh, but look at again, chapter 7, book of Mark, starting in verse 31. It says, Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And we talked about that several weeks ago, uh, but we'll see that again this morning. Verse 32, And then they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd, notice what Jesus does. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Now that seems extremely weird. Last week we talked about an awkward text. This one's just really interesting. Why in the world would Jesus do this kind of thing? Why would this man accept this kind of thing? What is happening? And so we'll see what's taking place there. It's actually this beautiful, beautiful picture that Jesus is painting for him. And looking up to heaven, he, Jesus, sighed and said to him, Aphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he, he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
as we read this text and certainly as we pray for things that are going on in our nation and there are things going on all around the world that I know many of us are heartbroken over, many of us are praying for. We also have to acknowledge as we read this text and as we take those things into account that all of life is precious, every single human life. We were created in the image of God, and therefore we have great purpose, and we have great meaning, and every single life has extreme value given to us by our Creator. At the same time, the body that we experience life in and through is also incredible, Uh, and, and we've learned so many things about it medically over the years. Uh, yet, in all that we know, we still can't figure out everything. There, there's this complexity to it that is just amazing. Uh, there's also this fragility to it that, that just doesn't make sense. With as incredible as the human body is, it's also extremely fragile. And so life is precious. The body that we live in and through in the world that God created and created our bodies in his image are absolutely amazing, yet they're, they're complex. They're miraculous. We can learn so much about them, but yet we can't understand everything about them and, and why it actually functions the body the way that it does. It's absolutely, if you just think about it for a few moments, it's mind-blowing. It's incredible. I I know that we have a lot of people in the medical field here at our church, and you know a lot more about this than I do. But when I think about the human body, it just absolutely blows my mind. It's incredible. And, And it has been for God's people and for all of creation throughout history. The psalmist, David... He actually reflects on the the beauty of the human body in Psalm 139. He celebrates what God has created, the life that we have, the beauty of life, but also the body that we live in and through, the the, the spirit, the soul, and how it, it has this flesh that images God in everything that we are. He reflects on that, and this won't be on the screen, but I just want you to listen to it this morning, just how David in this psalm reflects on God's creation of the human body. Listen, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. I love how David says that because essentially he's saying, God, you, you know me intimately. You have created everything. You have created me and you know everything about me. And he's about to flesh that out just a little bit. But yet you, you still love me. Yet you are still watching over me. This is the only opportunity that we have. And God has created us in the most beautiful of ways that, that we can be fully known and fully loved. See, God's the only one that fully knows who we are and yet fully loves us enough to sacrifice even his own life so that we might have life in him by his grace. No one else will do that for us, and we don't allow anyone else to do that for us. We hide things in our relationships because we understand that if someone really knew me, how could they fully love me? But yet God searches us and he knows us. You know, when I sit down, he says, and when I rise up, you, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is in my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me behind and before. You know my past and my future And you lay your hand upon me. He is with us in the present. Such knowledge, he says, is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. When shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Surely if I feel to myself, woe is me and everything around me and life is falling apart and there's just so much brokenness and my heart is just aching and I I don't see a way forward and where is God in all of this? Verse 12, Psalm 139, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness 
is as light with you. And then listen to this. For you formed me in my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My, my soul knows it very well. My frame was hidden from you, was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When I was yet, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. He is sovereign in all things. How vast is the sum of them. They are infinite and beyond us. If I would count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. See, David, he, he takes this moment in time to just reflect on the beauty of what God has created, that he is sovereign over all things, that he knows us intimately. He created us, and before we were even formed, he knew who we were in our past and our present and our future. He is with us in every single one of those moments, and his ways are too great for us to even understand or to think of, but yet he created us in his image. And we see that in Genesis 1, 27, that we were created in the image of God. He created us, male and female. He created us to reveal him to one another and to the rest of the world and to live for his glory in everything that we do and that our joy would be found in so doing. See, this tells us exactly who we are, the beauty and value and worth of our lives, not in what we do and what we accomplish or where we're from or anything about us and, and what we are able to do irreligiously or religiously, but all because of who we were created to glorify an image. And this also gives us our purpose. It allows us to understand our place and where we belong and what we're created to do. It, it allows us to understand where joy actually is. That only in that type of life of giving glory to God and everything and revealing him do we actually find the life that's amazing that we were all created to experience, that we all long for, that we're all seeking, that we all desire when it doesn't feel it is there. And one of the amazing things about the way that God created us is that in his creation of the body, he gives us the ability to receive information about who he is and who we are and how we're to glorify him and how we're to live and how we can experience everything that we were actually created to experience. It's absolutely incredible. That we would understand who we are on a soul level, and then he gives us physical abilities to take in that information and understand it. Why we were created and what we're created for. And among these ways in the human body that we're able to understand these things, to receive these things, to, to know what truth is, and then to be able to be actually live in freedom, which, which is to actually live as we were created to be. It's not the freedom to do anything that we want. That can often lead us into disastrous things, but it's the freedom to actually live in the way that we were created to, in the way that we actually desire to and long to. Even when in our moments and circumstances we desire for something else, we, we all have to admit that even when we have desired certain things in a moment, we later understand them to not be the things that we ultimately were desiring and we're thankful that the things that we desired did not occur. See, all of us are desiring and longing for something, but what it actually is is the freedom that we were created to know in God to live for his glory in everything that we are, everything that we do with everything that he has given us. That is what freedom is. And to experience that freedom, we have to be able to receive and comprehend and understand his truth and who God actually is and what we were created to actually be. And, and in our very bodies, he gives us this opportunity. One of the ways that he does this is by giving us a sense of sight, the ability to hear, our ability to smell, our ability to reach out and to touch and to feel even our ability to taste his creation. And hearing and communicating or the ability to understand specific information clearly and express truth clearly. 
is vital for everyone, every single one of us understanding life and why we are here and what we long for. See, we were created to hear, and this is how we actually, by hearing, are able to express. And we were created to hear truth, and we were created to express truth. And this is why we were created by God, to give him glory in everything. That as he displays himself and reveals himself, we then give glory back. And this is why it is important that in the body, we are able to receive and understand, and then to express everything that we receive. And hearing and speaking are vital to this understanding at the deepest level. If we, if we truly want to know truth at its, at its purity, at its foundation, Romans 10.1 or 10.17 actually tells us that faith, understanding truth, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then we communicate what has been communicated to us. It was C.S. Lewis that actually pointed out that, that we experience joys in life But we innately know that when we experience something, when we see something, when we taste something, when we touch something that gives some sort of pleasure, then there's this immediate expression. We're receiving information, and then the better that information, the truer that information, the more joy that information gives, the more we want to express it. That's why when you go somewhere like Hanging Rock or Pilot Mountain, or you go on a vacation and see something incredible, or you sit on the shore at the sea and look out and look at the crashing waves and hear the crashing waves, you almost just automatically express something. There's a beauty there. There's an awe there. It's what we were created for. And C.S. Lewis pointed this out. He said that, that there's a joy that cannot be understood until we actually express what we are experiencing. This is why when we fall in love, we, we don't just live together, but we express continually the way that we feel. And he points this out, that there's this reality of when we understand truth and it brings joy, then there's this desire, this innateness to express it in everything that we do. We know that that's because we were created to do so as we were created in the image of God. Now, I won't walk us through it this morning because I want us to get into the text and, and explaining it that we just understood. But again, the human body is absolutely incredible. And you read that this man was deaf and had this speech impediment. And then we think about the the impressiveness of the human body and how we are created to receive information and then to express information. And this is where we find our joy and our meaning and our purpose. And the human ear is absolutely incredible. Every body part really is. And and so I won't go through the detail of it this morning. You can look it up on your own. But but just the three layers that we commonly think of, the outer, the middle, and the inner ear, and how they work together to, to send clear signals to the brain so that we can begin to interpret what sounds are vibrating our eardrums and the little hairs in there and the bones in there that are all connecting to the brain so that they're vibrating in such a way that our brain takes those signals and hears them as music. It's absolutely fascinating. That that our brain can take the sound of a breeze going through the trees, which I heard very loudly last night at our house. As I was writing these words down, I heard a plane fly over me, and I knew to look up and see one of the modern modern marvels of men because, because I could hear what was happening around me, and my brain was able to receive it and understand what it was. To be able to hear I love you from a loved one or a child giggle, all of the things that are just incredible to us. David says it's the ability even from the womb to hear your mother's heartbeat. To hear your father say I love you before you're even born. All of these sounds help give meaning to life and they ultimately point us to our creator to hear his word, to express his glory, and for us to experience the joy that we have in it alone. This actually makes the most important sound that we hear language, verbal communication. It's it's the one that's it's most clear. It's the hardest to misinterpret. And there's other forms of communication. There's body language. There, there, there's different ways that we can communicate with one another. But, but verbal communication, language, is the most important form of communication. 
It's integral for us really at the deepest level understanding who we are. This is why the word of God is so incredibly important. But imagine, imagine just for a moment being born without the ability to hear and understand language or to actually be able to then reveal or or to express everything that is going on in your own mind and heart. This is actually not for most of us in the Western world, but for millions of people still today around the world, this is experienced. There are small forms of communication, but, but not the ability to, to understand what is actually being expressed to us verbally or through language at the deepest level without uh, forms of or easily being misunderstood and the ability to then express what's happening at the inner recesses of our own heart and mind. This happens all over the world today. Now, I know for us in America, language has taken on the form for those who cannot hear and maybe cannot speak because the two are very related to one another, that we have American Sign Language. And all around the world, there are different sign language languages that we communicate with. And they're absolutely beautiful. I took sign language for seven, several years in school. Uh, I was able to spend some time in a deaf community and learn so much there just about the culture and, and everything that they experience. And it's just, it's incredible what you can learn from a deaf community and, and their communication. So I know for us today, uh, we're not experiencing maybe what this man experiences. And especially for us in America, we might be able to find this in other places around the world, but not here. And and we have sign language where we can communicate in language, even though it is not verbal, we can sign it. And and that's probably one of the reasons, and I've lost a lot of my ability to do that, so don't come up to me after the service and start signing. I probably will not understand anything but the alphabet. Um, But I am told that I use my hands an incredible amount when I'm up here, um, and that's probably one of the reasons why. Um, But we are able to communicate in other ways. But for this man... He's unable to understand the deepest recesses of someone else's heart and what they're thinking. He's trapped in his own mind. He he cannot express what he is thinking without it being misinterpreted. He's just doing the very best that he can, but he's completely marginalized. We, We look at the church today and and we see these types of things that, that might happen where uh, there are marginalized people, and certainly those with disabilities um, are very marginalized in the church. I would say that they're probably the most marginalized, maybe if not in society, certainly in the church. And this is something that needs to be fixed in the church. But this man would, would religiously, socially be a complete outcast. He, he might have not ever had a thought that someone clearly understood. And I, I just want to kind of help us kind of get to that place where we're experiencing what he is going through. Because in the first century, though there was a form of sign language dating all the way back to the 5th century B.C., and this place in the world in the first century, and where he was and who he is, he probably would not have had access to completely understanding that language. So he is trapped within himself. He's an outcast in every way in his culture and in his society and even has a hard time understanding his family. And maybe his own family has a very difficult time understanding him. And ultimately, this truly represents how every single one of us are with Jesus. In and of ourselves, yes, we are born in the image of God. We are born to give him glory, but, but we have all rebelled and sinned against God. There's brokenness in every single one of our lives, and we're all seeking to, to ultimately kind of define who we are and not allow God to define us. We, we ultimately want to be our own kings and to build our own kingdoms, and we're seeking our own ways of life and believing that we know what's best and we understand the truth. And, and ultimately, this leads us down paths of destruction, and, and ultimately what Scripture tells us, it leads unto death. It's the opposite of life when we seek our own way, and and life is actually found in Christ and what we were created to experience and to know in God who created us. 
But again, we have to be able to understand this. We have to be able to know it clearly so that we can actually internalize it and we can place our faith in who he is. And then a part of the joy that we experience in him being king and in his kingdom is the ability to express it. But this man doesn't have that opportunity. And this truly represents us in each of our lives, outcast, unable to know who we truly are and, and, and what we are truly created to be until it is expressed to us, until it is displayed to us, until Christ comes and reveals who he is to us and what he has come to do. And so here in this text, we see that Jesus has, has done some traveling, and we saw that he went to, out of the Israelite territory into Gentile territory. He traveled up to Tyre, which is on the, the coast, uh, uh, kind of uh, northwest of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, where he has typically been. And then he's going to go up to Sidon, which is about 20, 22 miles north of Tyre. And then he's going to come all the way down this roundabout way to get to the Decapolis, which is on the west or east side, sorry, of the Sea of Galilee, the complete opposite side of where he's been. He's gone here once before in chapter 5, if you remember. And we'll see why he did that in just a moment. But this is where he's taking the disciples, and it's about a 120-mile journey. And people have been back and forth, back and forth, and, and theologians have debated why Jesus took this type of route. It makes absolutely no sense that he would go to Tyre and then go up to Sidon and then come all the way around Gentile territory to the Decapolis. Uh, but this is what he did. And ultimately, we believe that he's trying to teach the disciples, as we talked about last week. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to uh, be put in the grave. He's going to rise, as we'll celebrate next week. And then he's going to ascend back into his rightful place. And he is going to send the Spirit and those who believe to reveal him, to, to carry on what he has come to, to begin and to reveal who he is. And so he needs to spend time with the disciples. There's a lot of things that they don't understand at this point. And so he goes on this 120-mile walk with them to explain to them a whole lot of things. And this is really a teaching time. But also, as we looked at last week, Jesus is also allowing breadcrumbs of who he is, the bread of life, everything that we long for, the only one that can actually satisfy us, bring us back into community with our Father so that we understand who we are and what we were created to do. He is the bread of life. He is the one who satisfies. He tells us over and over and over again in the Gospels. And as he is going through Gentile territory, as we looked at last week, breadcrumbs of the Gospel truth are just falling off of the table of who he is. And many people are coming to know him. Many people are hearing about him. And so as he gets to the Decapolis and he enters this area, Matthew's account of this story actually tells us that multitudes of people gather around him. Now, certainly because of Jesus' traveling and his teaching and the things that he's doing, the, the teaching with authority and the miraculous things that he is putting on display and the people who are coming to faith, like word is, is spreading. But as soon as I get to this part of the text where I see that Jesus enters into a new territory and just multitudes of people, potentially thousands of people are just flocking to him. Then I ask the question, why? This is a Gentile territory that Jesus has only been to one other time. For a very short amount of time, he only did one miraculous work there. But if you remember what he did there, the first time that he went to the Decapolis was that he got off the boat and immediately a man who was demon-possessed came to him and Jesus heals him of the demon possession, and then this man wants to go with Jesus. Jesus is getting back into the boat with the disciples, and he says, I want to come with you. I want to be with you. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And, and incredibly, and out of the blue, it seems like God does so many of the things that he does are just mind-blowing in why he does them. But again, as David says, his thoughts are infinite, and he sees the past and the future, and he is with us in the present. He is working all things to his good plan. So we don't know why he does the things that he does, but he always has a reason and it is always good. And he tells this man, you can't come with me. And we think to ourselves, what do you mean? You're going to save this person, but you're not going to allow them to walk with you, to be discipled by you. But what Jesus actually does in Matthew, in Mark chapter 5, is that he tells the man, no, I am sending you out. 
And I want you to go and tell everyone what I have done for you and spread the good news that Christ has come to set the captive free and to heal from demon possession and to heal from other ailments and to save your soul at the very heart of who you are and what you desire and what you were created for, that, that I have come at the very foundational level to, to bring healing to who you are and to reveal the truth of what you desire and long to hear and express. And apparently the man does this. He goes and he begins to tell everyone and the news of who Jesus is begins to spread. And so as soon as Jesus comes back into the capitalist, then, then suddenly multitudes of people are all around him because Jesus sent out the first missionary and said, no, 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 you cannot get in the boat with me. And my guess is that man would have walked away thinking to himself, what in the world? I was just rejected by the one who saved me. But he was sent out to reveal the Savior to many others. And apparently that is what he did. And so multitudes of people come. And so in the book of Matthew, in this account, we get this kind of experience and understanding of the multitudes. But then Mark, he focuses on the one. He focuses on the reality that every single one of us are going through things in our lives that, that we struggle with and we're unsure of and we're uncertain and we're all seeking and, and Jesus is going to express to the outcast verbally through language what is truth. And then he is going to begin to be able to express truth in joy. So, so here's what happens. It says that this group of friends in the midst of this multitude bring Jesus, this person who is deaf, he cannot hear, and he can't speak plainly. There's some sort of speech impediment. We'll look at that word in just a few moments. But, but this would lead me to believe and many other scholars to believe uh, that this man might not have been deaf, born deaf. Maybe he Something had happened to him to, to lose his hearing. Um, but during this time, because of where they are and, and everything that I mentioned before, it was very difficult for somebody who was born deaf to be able to really communicate at all outside of sounds. Um, and, and so this man, in some way, he is communicating, but it's not very clear. There's some sort of inability to communicate clearly. And, and so we see that his friends bring him to Jesus. And ultimately, we, we could spend some time there and talk about these friends and, and how each one of us have people in our lives who need to experience Jesus, who need to be brought to Jesus, and that Jesus has sent us, as he does the, the man when he came the first time, into the Decapolis to tell everybody of who he is and the Savior that he is and to reveal everything that everyone is longing for and the only healer that there is of everything that our soul and our ears long to hear and we long to express for all joy and give giving him glory in everything that we do and everything that we are. And all of us should be friends in that way. It is the true friendship that we are created to experience. But here we get a glimpse as these friends bring this man to Jesus of Christ's compassion, not just for a people, but for the individual. Because each one of us, again, are the outcasts that are lost unable to hear what we were created to hear, unable to express what we were created to express outside of Jesus, opening our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our minds to understand. And he's going to meet this man's needs at the deepest, most foundational level. So this man is brought to Jesus, and, and notice the first thing that Jesus does for this man. And I try to put myself in this man's shoes and kind of understand what he's experiencing here. But the first thing that I notice when I'm reading this text is that Jesus actually sees the man. I don't know what this man's gone through in his life to this point, but I know the culture that he lives in. I, th I know some of the things that he would have experienced. And one of the things that probably did not come very often in his life is that someone actually sees him. 
He's probably one that you avoid. He's probably one that you don't give attention to. He's probably one that you try to to go around when you're walking through the city. You don't want to talk to this man. You don't want to make eye contact with this man. It's awkward. You you don't know how to communicate with him. You don't know how he is understanding you. And, And so the last thing that you want to do is actually see who this person is, to give this person value and actually giving them attention uh, because it, it, it's, it's hard for you. But, but Jesus sees the man. And, and when I say sees the man, I don't just mean that he put eyes on him, but he actually is, is giving value to him. He sees him in a way, and and I believe that the interaction begins here, even though this man cannot hear the words of Jesus, even though uh, maybe he can't understand what Jesus is saying at all. uh, I believe that Jesus is is communicating with him in another way, and and though that communication is extremely important in this conversation, he still needs to hear the truths of who Jesus is, and so it's not going to be the last thing that Jesus does, but I think when Jesus sees this man, then this man begins to understand that this one is someone different. There, there's a communication that's happening here that's really special. And I've never experienced this type of communication before. And, and this morning, if you're going through something in your life and, and you're struggling and you're seeking, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. He understands what you're going through. He's with you, and he sees you, and he values you. There's something that he is doing or he is allowing right now in your life to draw you closer to you, to communicate to you in a certain way. And I want you to put your eyes on him. Lean into him. But he sees you. And I, and I love how Jesus never in his entire life, even when he's getting away to rest, even when he's getting away to pray, like Jesus never sees ministering to others as a burden. He always has compassion. And he demonstrates this. He, he sees the man. He doesn't dismiss him. But not only that, not only does he see him, and, and, and I believe the communication begins there, but, but then the second thing that we see is Jesus takes him aside. Now, how crazy would this be? Because Jesus hasn't done this often in his ministry, and we know that Jesus does not even need to communicate to this man to heal this man. He's done so from afar before with the Israelite people, but he's doing something very specific with the Gentile people. Because as we saw last week, Jesus was sent to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy for the Israelite people to bring salvation to them, but not as an end, but as a means to the rest of the world. And now he's putting on display how salvation comes to the rest of the world, to his disciples and to us today in the way that he does ministry in the Gentile territory. And so he does not need to take this man away. But he demonstrates something incredible to us. He sees him and begins to communicate, but then he takes him aside. He's going to give this man time. He's going to give this man energy. He he wants to demonstrate that I want a relationship with you, that this is a communal thing, that that I've created you in my image to hear truth and to live in truth and to express truth, but but that's so that you can ultimately have relationship with me, that you can be in community with me. And so, yes, I see you in a way that no one else can see you, but I also call you to myself in a way that you can have relationship that you cannot have in any other way with any other person. And so Jesus is showing this man something. He's communicating something with him before he can understand him verbally at all or through language at all. And this is amazing. Far beyond this man's expectation, I would imagine. He's probably just hoping, like, maybe we'll go to this Jesus and maybe he can do something for me. I don't know. We've tried everything he certainly was not able to fully communicate to even his friends who said, let's, let's take you to Jesus. Maybe he is a little bit confused on what is even taking place. And so he doesn't have the expectation that Jesus is going to do this. And certainly Jesus does not have to do this, as we said. But Jesus is going to see him, and he is going to invest in him. The third thing that Jesus does is communicate with the man in a way that he understands. 
And we can talk about contextualization here. We can talk about what it looks like for us to be friends. We can talk about how we, and I hope you're picking up on all of this as Jesus is doing ministry, how we as friends of his, as, as children of his, as he has saved us, as he has revealed the truth, as he allows us to express it, that we would be doing ministry as Jesus is doing ministry, that we would not see it as a burden, but a purpose. That we would see those who are in community around us, that we would see those that we work with, that we would see our neighbors, not in just a way of saying hi, but in a way that they feel seen. That we would take time with people that are around us, that we would invest in them, we would reveal love to them, that we would treat them in a way that they know we do not have to treat them, but we are doing that because of who we are. That we're revealing to them something greater than anything that they are living for. And then Jesus communicates with this man in a way that he understands. And we too should be able to communicate with people in a way that they understand. But look what Jesus does for this person. It's absolutely amazing. He, He takes this person aside. And he begins to speak to him in, in kind of a different type of way. He communicates really through sign language. If you read this text, Jesus begins to do some, stuff, some things with his hands and with his face and, and, the, and the way that he responds to this man when he pulls him to the side to, to really communicate in a language that he understands. There's a truth that needs to be communicated, and he gives this man five signs. The first thing that he does is he puts... His fingers, Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. And what he's saying here, and this can be so weird to us. When we just read this text, we're like, why in the world? Why did Jesus take him away? Why didn't he just say, be healed? Like, why is he doing these things? And why is he putting his fingers in his ears and spitting and all this weird stuff? Like, this is just weird. But what Jesus is doing is actually revealing himself at the level of truth to this man in a way that he can understand. He's doing this to comfort the man. We think it's weird, and why would Jesus do that? And just, but, but what he's doing is actually giving the man confidence. He puts his fingers in the man's ear, and what he's saying there is, I understand the physical issue that you have. I understand why you are here. I, I understand what's going on with your life. I understand why you cannot express and communicate what's going on in the depths of your very soul. And I know that you cannot understand the deepest truths of everything in this world that you long to and that you were created to understand. And and I want you to know I'm touching your ears to say I, I, I know what's going on and I am about to heal you so that you can understand the truth that you were created to know. So this problem right here, this will not be a problem for you anymore. Then the second thing that he does is, is Jesus touches the man's mouth. And here he's communicating that I understand that there's this deep issue. You you, you can't understand and receive truth, but you also cannot reveal the truth that's within you. And and so I understand that there's something happening with your ears. I understand that there is something happening with your mouth. And I am going to bring healing so that you can both understand and you can reveal. Because this is what I have created you to receive joy in. And this is how you are to live for my glory. And there's always this weird question even of, well, why did Jesus spit? I can kind of get down with those kinds of things, but, but what's happening there? Well, what's happening there, again, is Jesus actually comforting the man. He's helping this man understand in a way that he would know that he is about to heal him. See, spit in the ancient world in the first century in this region was actually believed, if you were uh, received the saliva or touched with the saliva of a very important person or a very powerful person, that their saliva actually had the ability to heal. There are stories that we can read throughout history where people with ailments are taken to kings and different rulers and leaders and powerful people, and they're asked uh, for them to spit upon them. They believe that it had this healing power. 
So, so even though this was not common at all for a rabbi to do, this was not something that an Israelite leader would do or a powerful person amongst the Jewish people, a rabbi would not do this at all. In compassion, because Jesus understands who this man is and his culture, Jesus does this, and by Jesus doing this and touching his tongue, he is saying that, that I am a special person and I am here to heal you. And I, I believe that as Jesus is communicating these things with this man, this man is just getting more and more comfortable. As everybody, the disciples and, and maybe even the friends, they're standing around going, what is happening here? I'm getting more and more confused. But Jesus is focused in on this individual man's issues and brokenness, and it's becoming more and more clear to him. And I want you to know this morning that even though God is, is sovereign and powerful over all things and he has for himself a people and he is moving his church in the direction of his great plan. And yes, he works amongst a people. He also sees you individually. He also calls you to himself individually. He also understands your individual brokenness and he will communicate with you in a way through his great truth in the exact way that you need to understand to understand everything everything that you need to know truth and to be able to reveal it. And this is what he does for the man here. Then Jesus looks up to heaven. So as soon as he touches the man's mouth with the spit and this man's being communicated with, then Jesus tells this man who he is. He says, I am a special person and I am going to heal you and I am about to bring power into your life to bring healing so that you understand truth and can reveal it. But then he looks up to heaven to say, I'm not just some sort of prophet. I'm not just a good teacher. This is not witchcraft. Like This is not one of your Gentile gods or idols. But he looks up to heaven to communicate to this man that what's about to happen to you is from your creator. This is the communication that Jesus begins to give to this man. And as he looks up to heaven, this is absolutely incredible. Jesus groans. He sighs, it says. And we see that this man would begin to understand the heartbreak that our creator has for the brokenness in our lives. The heartbreak that our creator has for the brokenness in the world around us. And that he, God, ultimately will be the restorer of all things. That Jesus has actually come to, to live the life that we cannot live and to die on the cross for our sin and to rise to defeat all that is defeating us. And that ultimately he will restore everything because the brokenness and the sinfulness and the separation from it was not what we were created to experience. And it doesn't allow us to live in truth and it doesn't allow us to reveal his glory and to experience the joy that we were created to have with him now and for all of eternity. And so he looks up and says, God is about to save you, save you and heal you and redeem you. And he is broken over the brokenness. There is restoration coming. He sighs and he groans. And we get to see God's heart. And this man understood the heart that Jesus had, the compassion that Jesus has for him, even in his darkest moment and then only then does Jesus speak Jesus speaks on the fifth thing that he actually reveals Ephatha that's all he says and I think in that moment the healing and the word were simultaneous and the first thing that this man hears is the voice of his creator. Be open. Just imagine that experience for a moment. That your creator, who rules and reigns over all things, takes the time to see you takes the time to understand what you're going through, to communicate with you in a way that you understand. And then he heals and restores, and, and you get to hear truth 
for the very first time from his voice. And this is what you're going to reveal. Like, is it any like surprise to us that even though Jesus says, hey, it's not time for people to to really know me widely yet. It's not time for me to go to the cross yet. So just kind of keep this on the down low for just a little bit. Is it any surprise? Would any of you listen to Jesus in this moment? Like, I have just been restored by my creator who communicated with me in the way that I needed him to and then revealed truth to me so that I can actually live in the reality of who I was created to be and reveal it and, 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 and express it in everything that I am from this point forward. Right, you're not going to get me to stop expressing this good news. But Jesus says these words. He says, be open. Literally, it means be set free. And what Jesus is doing here is not just speaking to the man's ears and his mouth. He's actually speaking to the man holistically. The language there is not directed towards the ailment that he has. It's directed towards the man's soul. The the body is an expression of who he was created to be, but I am healing that physically. But ultimately, the truth is that we need salvation in him, and he alone can provide it. And so what he says to the man is, be set free. Chains fall. Come out of your prison. Stop seeking salvation in the things of the world, you who are an outcast. You who are seeking to to find your own way and to save yourselves and to find joy and happiness and meaning in the things that God created only to reveal him to your five senses. But he has expressed his truth to you and you can understand at the foundational level what you were created to know and discern and reveal. Be free. And Jesus actually, Mark doesn't do this, and I'll I'll close with this. Mark doesn't do this very often. He doesn't refer back to the Old Testament very much like other New Testament writers do because he's, he's writing primarily to Romans. And they're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, but they would have been somewhat familiar with the Septuagint or the Greek version of the Old Testament. And, and the word that, that Mark uses there for the fact that this man was unable to speak, he had a speech impediment, is only found one other place in all of Scripture. It's Isaiah 35. And in Isaiah 35, the lead up to that is that the people were ultimately being warned of walking away from their creator, not living in truth and revealing truth as the Israelite people were created to do in the Old Testament, to reveal what it was like for a people to live in the kingdom of God and reveal that to the rest of the world, the nations around them. They weren't doing that. And so God sends warning after warning after warning. But in the midst of the warning in Isaiah 35, he says to them, but... The deaf will be able to hear. The blind will be able to see. He he points to the Messiah coming who will bring salvation and truth into the world and begin to restore and ultimately will restore and redeem all things for all of eternity. And Mark pulls that out here to express to the disciples and to us and to this man that he is the Messiah. That he comes not just to physically heal us, but to save us at a level that we can actually live as we were created to live now and for eternity. See, Jesus says to this man in this moment, I'm not just a healer that's coming to simply postpone physical death, but I'm a savior that's coming to bring you eternal life. Be open. Receive salvation. This is what we long to hear. This is what we were created to express. And it can only be found in Jesus. This is why the people in verse 37 express, he does all things well. Doesn't it just remind you of Genesis 1 when Jesus is creating and he creates everything that we see and says it is good? And here he is restoring And everyone around him says, he does all things well. He is restoring. See, this is what we are called to be. A people who hear his truth and express it in all of life.